Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, obesity, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. There is so much out there in the world of health, wellness, nutrition, diets, what we should be eating. And nutrition is a big part of my life. I really do keep track of what I eat, particularly because of a lot of my food sensitivities. But sometimes I'm healthier than others. I would say it definitely ebbs and flows. And sometimes I feel more like I have it under control. And other times I do struggle with making the best choices. I've always struggled with eating right for my body, partly because of the food issues and sensitivities, but also I um, have struggled with obesity. I lost a lot of weight on a high protein and high fiber vegetable type diet after my daughter was born, but then I started to find some digestive issues over the long term with eating sort of the five small meals a day and the high, high protein. And then I started looking at keto, the keto diet, and incorporating more fats. And everyone was talking about all the good fats. And I tried that, and and I did struggle with it. And then also intermittent fasting has been something that I've done with differing success. So working on fasting in terms of the 16-8, and then also doing the odd 24-hour fast. And again, I haven't seen huge success with it. So really, I've wanted to learn a little bit more recently about the best approaches for nutrition and kind of get back to core values and really dive into whether or not we should be following some of these so-called diet trends or popular um, meal plans, and then really how to approach balanced eating and developing a healthy relationship with food. So I'm really excited to speak with Emily Cornelius, who's a registered dietitian on the podcast this week. And I think you're really going to like all of the great insight that she brings in terms of having a healthy relationship with food and a little bit of the inside scoop on some of the key diet trends. Enjoy the show. I'm happy to welcome Emily Cornelius, registered dietitian, to the podcast today. Emily is a virtual dietitian and founder of Emily Cornelius Nutrition, where she focuses on helping young professionals meet their health goals. She has also recently added podcaster to her pursuit. Please welcome Emily. Hi, Emily. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy holiday schedule to join us today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on, and I'm super excited to talk more with you about nutrition. Awesome. Why don't you start by telling us your background and how you really got interested in nutrition? Um, So I'm a registered dietitian. I went to college at Kent State University. Um, So, you know, a registered dietitian has completed a bachelor's in nutrition and dietetics, and has completed an internship. Um, it took me about, the internship took about seven, six to seven months. And then you can sit for your national exam. Um, and the national exam is really just cumulative of everything you've learned with nutrition. 
And so I did go to school for nutrition and dietetics. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, you know, what really got me into nutrition? Well, my mom was very interested in nutrition when I was growing up and always reading books and things like that. I never wanted to do nutrition, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) She had suggested me being a dietitian. I was like, oh, I don't know. But what I think really sparked my interest was I had my own weight loss struggles when I was 14 years old. I was about 25 pounds overweight and I was going through all those emotions starting high school where my pants didn't fit and I was having a lot of insecurities about my body. And so I decided to search, you know, like anyone does when they want to lose weight. I started scanning the internet, trying to figure out how to lose weight. And I landed on Weight Watchers and I did Weight Watchers. I lost all the weights. I was extremely hungry the whole time, had no idea what I was doing with meals. And I was just counting points. And then I would exercise daily to try to get more points because mm-hmm. I was hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like a funny game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I remember all those struggles and emotions, and that's really helped me as a dietitian to go that I went through all of those emotional processes because losing weight is really emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot that goes on. And so it sparked my interest on thinking there has to be a better way to do this. And how could I do a diet, reach my goals, but still feel totally confused as to how to eat long term? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't even focusing on health. I was just trying to reach what what I thought the scale would make me feel my best and look my best. And so I would say that's kind of what really made me start paying attention to the problem of something that's sustainable that I could learn um, as a young teen trying to figure out how do I lose this weight? Yeah, no, that's pretty similar to, you know, part of my story. I was, well, I was a hundred pounds overweight, I guess I would say in high school and then did like a very similar to Weight Watchers kind of weight loss. Didn't quite get to exactly where I wanted, but much more healthy, but similar, like just didn't really know what to do long term. Um, and, and then I, you know, went through a similar thing after my daughter was born. I lost a lot of weight doing a very high protein, high veggie kind of diet. But then I kind of, again, struggled, like I exercised very heavily. And so, I started having digestive issues and then I just wasn't sure the maintenance piece. So yeah, I I can totally see your interest and it's something I'm always kind of looking into. So what would you consider then to be sort of like that foundational key pillars in terms of healthy eating and eating for health and a healthy weight? Well, I would start with behaviors. Um, That's a huge one. You know, we are products of our habits, really. And, you know, first, you do need the education piece on how to accomplish your goals. So education is a huge pillar um, of understanding, you know, real in-depth nutrition education. And then, you know, mimicking, you know, making your action items and following up with behaviors and habits. And, you know, this is a big reason why I, you know, dietitians, they mainly fall in medical nutrition therapy. So a lot of them you would see in like a hospital setting because I was a specialist in renal nutrition for a very long time, a good five years. 
And, you know, since we are advanced with science and things like that, we help a lot of people that have comorbidities to reach their goals. And so whenever you're connecting with the community of, you know, young professionals who want to lose weight, it's like, how do I translate this into something really simple and fun? And what are the basics? And that's why I did become a coach, because behaviors don't change. You know, when I was seeing people once a month in an outpatient setting and someone was coming in and we were setting goals, they would go out and do it for a week and then mm. fall off for two weeks. And right. then by the third week they came in, it was like, well, yeah, I think it was working, but you know, X, Y, and Z happened, you know, happy hour, mm -hmm. um, yep. <laughs> you know, all the things come up, stress eating. And so that's why being a virtual nutrition coach is where I ultimately landed. Cause I feel like I'm helping people the most. And so a pillar is, you know, also consistency. So you do need education, you need accountability and habits take a little while to change. You know, once you know what to do, it doesn't mean that you just change overnight because you've been developing these habits for, you know, for me, 32 years, you know, you're doing one thing or maybe you're trying all these different things. Right. And so you never really worked on consistency. Mm -hmm. um, so with nutrition, it's so much about consistency. Yeah, that's a good point. Because a lot of times people, you know, they say, I'm going to try this new meal plan or way of eating and they give it like a week. And then when they don't mm -hmm. see some kind of immediate result, it's like out the window sort of thing. So that makes a lot of sense. And you're right, like habits, behaviors, those can be really tricky things. Like I find that, you know, you get into sort of a stressful time or whatever. And, you know, my go to is food, right? And I think that's it for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, you mentioned that you spent time kind of scouring the internet and certainly lately, and if you listen to health podcasts, all of that, there's so many different types of eating out there. And one of the ones I've seen a lot of positive press on is intermittent fasting, you know, for many reasons. One of the things that appealed to me was improved digestion. Um, and so I guess if you can maybe explain what intermittent fasting is, Kind of just at a high level and then like do you think that it is helpful does it work for people yeah i'd love to talk about so first i'll start by saying i'm by no means an expert in intermittent fasting mm -hmm. um i'd love to speak to the most popular one which is the 16-8 fast that's the one i've worked with with some clients uh, where you fast for 16 hours and then you eat for eight hours there's several different ways that you can intermittent fast and, you know, it's basically weight loss is creating a caloric deficit over a week span. It's not day to day. So when you're intermittent fasting, you know, you are creating a big caloric deficit over a week span versus when you weren't fasting the 16 hours. And so it does help with weight loss. Now it goes back to ancient times, you know, intermittent fasting is something that I believe we first saw with religion where people would fast to pray or, um, you know, do religious ceremonies. But the biggest thing with fasting that I've read as far as education on health, you know, there's two different things. There's people who are using intermittent fasting for weight loss. And then there are articles that are talking about health 
intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. And so can it all be combined is the biggest question because, you know, whenever, if we look at this intermittent fasting in ancient times, it's taking time to let the body rest. And that's something we don't really know how to do well these days. And, you know, when you're combining fasting, working out, working a full-time job, maybe you're a mom and you know how you have kids, you're up till one in the morning, you know, are you putting more stress on the body or you're actually creating a healthy environment for your body to rest? And so that's kind of like my biggest battle with intermittent fasting. Another thing I see is binge eating and intermittent fasting do not work well together. Mm -hmm. So there's certain personality types that do really well on intermittent fasting, certain personality types that do not do well. It actually promotes them to go and eat, you know, a lot of things that they wouldn't normally eat things high in fat, high in sugar, because they just fasted for 16 hours, sometimes 24 hours, if you're on a different intermittent fasting schedule. Mm -hmm. And it makes you feel this false um, perception, you know, that it's okay to eat, you know, unbalanced, mm-hmm. maybe you're craving a lot of carbs and things like that. So for me, whenever I assess a client, um, my clients that have intermittent fasted have mastered the principles of nutrition of drinking water, enough water consistently, you know, they have their calories, right? They have their vegetables that they're eating daily. And they worked with me for a while before they even started intermittent fasting. So I do view it as something that's a little bit more advanced. It's like another layer. And so if you're, you know, I've talked to people who are intermittent fasting and they're only eating one meal and on that in during that feeding period. Right. So they've dwindled their calories down to 500, you know, during that time. And they're just destroying their metabolism. It's not sustainable. And then they do lose a lot of weight, but they really struggle getting off that intermittent fasting and what to do. And they start to see the health effects of hair loss and things because they're just malnourished at that point. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And and I've heard that too, where people do like a one meal a day. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it, that's challenging to think about long-term. And I've tried the 24 hours and you're right. Like for me, I do find that then I'm kind of like, I'm pretty hungry. Um, so I can see why it can be definitely challenging. That's good. That's good background. What about um, another popular one that I have tried? I heard so much about positive fats. And so when I was doing kind of a high protein, high veg, diet, I felt like, oh, maybe I'm not getting, you know, the coconut oil or the avocado oil in the right amount. And there was just so many health benefits that I kept hearing about. And so it kind of led me towards trying the keto diet. And so I wondered if that one, like, have you had clients with a lot of success on that plan? Or is that something that you see as balanced? Yeah. Um, as a medical uh, nutrition, ther- you know, as a dietitian doing medical nutrition therapy, uh, keto was originally developed for people with epilepsy because the, the high fat diet really helps reduce seizures. Mm. And the other, um, the other, I don't know what you would call it, comorbidity that has done really well on keto are diabetics. Okay. Um, they've had really great success with blood sugar control on keto. Now, if we're talking about that's where it started, right? And then everything just flies into a fad. Right. And that's why a lot of dietitians are so against fads because like I said, people don't have these core principles down. And so they're not really looking. It's really confusion. I think a lot of people try fad diets because they're not really sure. That's how I felt 
before I was a dietitian, not really sure what's going to work. And you do hear all these health claims. So I have never put anyone on a keto diet uh, because I think a lot of people that medically need the keto diet are already seeing a dietitian maybe in the hospital or outpatient because they have a comorbidity. Right. But I have worked with clients that came to me after doing the keto diet and they lost, you know, maybe 20, 25 pounds, but they hit this plateau right. because their metabolism, they're eating an average of 800 calories a day and they've slowed their metabolism down so severely. And when they eat, you know, just 1200 a day, they're gaining weight. Mm -hmm. So I've had quite a few people that have done that. And they were eating very strictly between 800 and 1000 calories for a year on the keto diet. And then they're not really sure where to go from there. So I think that that's kind of like the biggest thing I've seen. And the keto diet is very high in fat. I mean, it can be 95% fat. And so you're not even allowed to have that much protein really mm-hmm. at, on the keto diet. It will kick you out of ketosis. So there's a lot of co- complexities to it. I have a really good nutrition friend that um, he's an expert in ke- the keto diet and he helps people with it. So there are dietitians out there that do it and they do it really well. So I think that's the biggest thing. If you really feel like that's going to be the best diet for you, the thing to know about keto is you have to stay on it. It's not the average that somebody stays on keto is three weeks mm. and it's not a diet for you to go on and then go off because you're just messing with your metabolism at that point. So you have to go hard. And I would really recommend working with a professional on the keto diet because it's a lot more complex than it's portrayed through the internet. Yeah. Okay. That totally makes sense. And and I've heard that about like being kicked out of ketosis and stuff. So like, I'm just curious, what do you do? in that case, like when you've got somebody who, you know, in the the fasting example or the keto example where they're, you know, 500 to 1000 calories, and you know, the moment they start to eat kind of quote, unquote, normally, they're gaining a lot of weight. Does that is there a way that you help transition them? Like, is that something you do? Yes, absolutely. I use a method called reverse dieting. You can retrain the metabolism to run at a higher rate, but if they're coming from a keto diet of a year or more, their body may have forgotten how to process carbohydrates. It happens. And so what you need to do is go very slow and add 25 to 50 calories per week. And so I'm straightforward with anybody that comes to me with a very, very low calorie count that they've been on chronically, that there are three things that could happen during the reverse, that they could maintain their weight, they could lose weight, or they could gain weight, and but they should not gain a lot of weight. Usually, you know, through the whole reverse, I've never seen anyone really gain more than five pounds on a reverse. And I tell them, I just prepare them that, you know, this isn't about weight loss at this point anymore. This is about getting your metabolism running to a normal rate again, so that we can actually create a hole or a deficit because there's nowhere for me to go when you're at 800 calories. Like, how am I going to cut your calories down Mm -hmm. and make a bigger deficit I can't tell you to exercise more because you don't even have enough calories for your body to have energy for a day without exercise. Right. So what happens is the body doesn't burn. It just, it's not starvation mode, which some people will call it. It's 
preservation mode. It's just trying to preserve everything that you eat. So that's why people can eat 800 calories, but still not be able to lose weight. Uh, but that's what we do. We do a reverse dieting method. It takes anywhere from two to five months, depending on how deep the hole is and how well the person reacts. But um, my clients that have done that um, have all reached their weight loss goals at this point. Um, they're usually very, you know, if you're if you're doing 800 calories chronically for a year, they're usually really good with numbers and they like to hit those markers. Mm. So, you know, it's not even a matter of them not wanting to do the right thing. It, would, it was just the lack of nutrition education on how to get there. Okay. And if somebody was not where they wanted to be, you would do this sort of reverse, but then their metabolism would be up. So they'd start to lose weight again. Is that kind of how it works? Sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes let's say that, say they're at 1200 and I reverse them out and we get to 1700 and we start to see a lot of, you know, weight gain at 1700. And I say, well, we could cut at this point. I could put you at 1500 because we'll be in a deficit and you'll start to see some weight loss. Right. So it doesn't always mean that on the reverse, they're going to see weight loss because their metabolism is running normally again. Um, we may not see weight loss until I make that cut again. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're kind of getting them back to baseline and then you work with them there. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's good. But I had, you know, I had a client that we did all of his weight loss and I reverse everybody out at the end, right? You should never live in a caloric deficit. A lot of people do that where they'll cut their calories to 15, 1400, and then they just stay there for life. Mm -hmm. Well, if you lost weight on that, you should be able to eat a higher calorie count. So on the reverse, um, he lost 10 more pounds. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Sometimes people just, you know, he's like, oh, you don't have to be sorry. I'm excited. I lost 10 more. I was like, okay. Yeah. So sometimes that happens too. Sometimes people just react so well to the reverse. And it's usually because they've been consistent with me, you know, from six to nine months and their metabolisms are working really well. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So one, another trend that I've heard a lot about is kind of clean eating. And I heard some people saying that that can, can be negative as well. And then a lot of times people will do like a clean eating, but then cheat meals or cheat days. And I just wondered if that's set like sort of a, a plan that you recommend. Yeah, I'm glad you asked about this. I love talking about the cheat day thing because, you know, what I think promotes Back to anything. So whenever any whenever anybody asks me about clean eating, you know, I say, well, what's clean to you? Does that mean no processed foods at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that means no processed foods. Okay, well, what's your life like? You know, do you have time to cook everything from scratch every single meal? And, you know, if they say no, then it's okay. Well, is this clean eating plan really going to get you to where you want to be? You know, it's it. Yeah. sometimes there has to be a little give and take with things. And sometimes if you go to that extreme, but it doesn't fit within your life, um, then, you know, it doesn't work. There, of course, are a ton of like meal ordering services out there. Mm -hmm. But if anybody comes to me and they say, I want to eliminate all processed food and just eat whole foods, I'm all for that. And of course, that's healthier not to eat processed foods. But I don't think necessarily that if you incorporate some processed foods in your diet that you can't reach your weight loss goals or be a healthy person in general. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other component with cheat days 
and cheap meals, I teach all of my clients to view things on a meal by meal basis, because whenever you start thinking of days, then you can get back into that yo-yo dieting cycle where it's, oh, I ate pancakes for breakfast on Saturday and they had chocolate on them. Now the whole day's ruined. Right. Let me just go eat pizza for dinner, candy in the afternoon. And so I really teach my clients, like if they're going to go out, let's say Friday night and have pasta and wine, and they're going to go, well, not now during COVID, but, you know, take out or whatever mm-hmm. for pasta, let's plan for that. You know, let's eat really, you know, high fiber, non-digestible carbs in the morning. So you can have energy. Let's not be restrictive, but let's stay balanced and make sure we utilize um, non-digestible carbohydrates like fiber. If you're going to have high carb at night. And it's going to be put you over your carb amount. You know, you can also go into a maintenance phase for a day. So if you're, you know, working on weight loss and you're in a caloric deficit at 1500, well, that's not your maintenance. So if you want to go out to eat and say your weekend is 1800, 1900 calories, um, that's fine. It doesn't mean that you lost, but you didn't gain. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So some of my Some of my clients do prefer, I always ask in the beginning when people work with me, you know, hey, do you need more calories on Friday and Saturday? Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of them will say yes. And I say, okay, well, are you willing to eat a little bit less? Like not a lot, but one to 200 calories less Monday through Thursday. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them will be like, yeah, that's easy for me. Yeah. So, you know, you can reach your weight loss goals that way too, as long as it's not extremes, 1100 to 1800, you know, Mm -hmm. like you don't want those huge gaps. But within a few hundred calories, you can definitely um, manipulate them, move them around and make a plan for it. Okay. And so that's kind of what you mean by you look at a week, you know, it's a caloric deficit over a week sort of thing. Exactly. Because if you just say Friday's your cheat day, you you could eat 3000 calories Mm -hmm. and kick yourself out of an entire caloric deficit for the week and you're in maintenance. Yeah. And so that's what's hard about cheat days. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that sort of is something that'll be on a lot of people's minds with the holidays coming. A lot of us tend to overeat, whether it's emotional eating or stress eating or just wanting to try whatever kind of festive food comes their way. So do you have any suggestions really for keeping ourselves on kind of a healthy eating track through the holiday season? Yeah, I actually just recorded a podcast with my two dietitian friends, Olivia and Kristen. It's on Eat the Day and Cookie. I will give you some recommendations from it, but it's called Navigating Thanksgiving. And we talk a lot about holiday food in general. So I know, you know, Christmas is the next holiday coming up, but, and for some Hanukkah, but, you know, you can go on there and um, listen to that. But, you know, I really, really have a, flexible dieting approach. And so I've talked with my clients about what are your non-negotiables during Thanksgiving? You know, some people would rather focus on portion control because it is out of the question to change the recipes. Right. Some people want to do a mix. So they might want to do some healthy recipes and then some of their traditional recipes. And then some people like to just do, you know, as healthy as possible. So I have all different preferences and I think they can all work if you really do it the right way. Um, But, you know, I think overall just focusing on portion control, it's one day, you you know, it's Mm -hmm. really 
all of the parties beforehand. I know this year we're not dealing with this as much, but normally um, I have a holiday survival guide for my clients and we map out all of this like November, December, and they put little notes on their calendar of Okay, here's you know two work parties because I I'm from I was living in Washington D.C. and it's the land of happy hour and brunch and right. work parties right. and so we would map the whole calendar out and then they would choose which ones were most important which ones they would just have a drink at mm-hmm. you know which ones they would kind of focus more on portion control so you can map it out that way too but then also be relaxed but. I feel like if you really don't hardly ever do that and, you know, it's just Christmas Day or, you know, whenever you're eating your feast or your meal, you don't have to worry so much about that. You you know, don't work on weight loss the week of a holiday. Right. Maybe that's a maintenance week then. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's always a maintenance week. I I don't usually have clients that lose weight on holiday weeks because I don't press for that, you know, Mm -hmm. unless they really want that. I don't push for it. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned uh, your new podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. So it's called Eat the Dang Cookie. (laughs) We named it that because obviously, Mm -hmm. if you've been listening, um, we all have a flexible dieting approach where, you know, restriction leads to wanting to eat more and just allowing yourself permission is really what we're promoting, but also within moderation, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to go crazy. So we talk a lot about nutrition, how to handle social, you know, we have one on social pressure. We did a holiday gift guide. And then the next one coming up will be detoxes because that's really popular post holiday. So we try to hit, you know, themes based on what people may be going through. Mm -hmm. And since we're all virtual nutrition coaches, you know, we work with so much real life situations that uh, we wanted to create a podcast where people could really feel like they could relate to the content and it could speak to them in a way that would motivate them to, you know, work on health and learn more about how to eat a diet that's balanced for their weight loss. Yeah, I think that's and, super and refreshing. health in general. Yeah. yeah, no, I just was saying, I think that's super refreshing. And I, yeah, I really think the name is nice. <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> no, because it's true. Like even a lot of podcasts, they're, you know, if they are on health or nutrition, it's sort of that really extreme end. It's not often focused on a balanced approach kind of thing. So I think that's, that's kind of a good space to be getting into. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I hope that people really like it and learn a lot from it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing just kind of to change gears, my family and me, my kids kind of all struggle with food sensitivities. Also, my daughter's got several food allergies. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, it kind of can get to a point where what's in food so much um, for your allergens and you almost get a bit of food fear. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on how to remain kind of food positive when you have to deal with those kind of restrictions. And I guess it even applies maybe to um, when you are trying to lose weight and you're counting calories and things like that. Like, how do you kind of stay positive in terms of your relationship with food? Um, It's a really good question. So I think step one is to make sure that you have the allergy. I think that's a big thing as I'll see a lot of things happen where, you know, there was a fad, there were people that have sensitivities to gluten, and then it was a fad. And then people just 
perceived that they had sensitivities to gluten. And when I really researched that in depth, um, it was so interesting because I went to Iceland that year and they don't have many problems with gluten at all. There are some exceptions, but it's not really a problem there. Mm -hmm. And when I was like digging deep into that, it was because they make this bread called rug broad and they don't use the quick yeast, the active yeast. Um, They make it just in a hot spring. It doesn't rot there's no yeast in it. And so when I was looking into the United States and what we do with bread is, you know, we make everything so fast and quick. And um, there is, you know, five to six times the gluten in a loaf of bread compared to if you had made sourdough and did a sourdough starter and fed it for days. You know, we just don't do these things anymore because our lives are very fast. Mm -hmm. And so everything is just convenience made. And so some people I think were having sensitivities to gluten, but I think it was more the amount of gluten in the bread um, because they would tell me, oh, I can eat sourdough, which is a lower gluten bread. Mm. So, you know, really identifying and seeing an expert, probably a naturopathic doctor would be one of the best to go an allergy, somebody that does allergy testing um, to just, you know, nail down, make sure you have that allergy. And then to deal with it, you know, when clients tell me, you know, I really know that I have this and uh, what what I do is just try to keep food interesting as best as possible. You know, there's likely a lot more products out there that you can have um, that you may not be aware of. And so I think a lot of that may came, come from boredom of mm-hmm. eating the same food. And I think that that's really where you can get bogged down. Um, Variety is really important, but also the way you cook something, you know, like you may have more options than you really realize. And so that's something I work with clients, especially ones that have a lot of restrictions with allergies Mm -hmm. is finding bars, snacks, things they can have. um, And then also variety with meals. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Even with my kids, I'll always kind of say, you know, focus on what you can have, not what you can't, like just kind of that more positive way. And so, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of the variety piece as well. Um, So I know you've talked a little bit about um, Emily Cornelius Nutrition and some of the services that you do, but why don't you talk just a little bit more about the services or the online packages. I know I saw on your Instagram quite a number of offerings and um, how you're offering a lot of healthy eating coaching support. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. And actually, I just changed my brand. You don't know about this, oh, but awesome. I just changed my brand. Um, it's something that's in the works, but it's now called Hike Your Way Healthy. Oh, so you cool. won't find me on Instagram anymore under Emily Cornelius Nutrition. Um, and it's my movement towards, I still help young professionals to lose weight and I still do my weight loss coaching. I work really closely with clients. I see them bi-weekly via Zoom call. They have access to a Slack channel where they can ask me questions daily. I get really close with my clients because we'll talk about everything, right? Like yeah. stress eating, yep. um, going out, they'll send me on the Slack channel. They can actually send me menus of, you know, oh, wow. any takeout that they're doing or going yeah. out. And then we talk about it like 
hey, what would you order? And here's what I would pick because of X, Y, and Z. So we do so much situational things. And I think that's really what makes them successful is on, on, you know, site learning. Yeah. Is that, that's really what is helpful. So I do that. I give them an example, three-day meal plan, but I also teach them how to meal plan in a really fun way. I love doing um, themed days. So like Monday will be chicken night, Tuesday will be Mexican, Wednesday will be Italian, Thursday is breakfast for dinner, Friday soup, you know, like you can do, there's so many cool themes you can do. And when you have your outlines, then you can, it makes meal planning much easier. Um, So I really work with clients to do that. But Hike Your Way Healthy is actually going to be this awesome interactive step club. The portal won't be ready until February, but... It's basically, um, I'll try to briefly sum it up, but I love travel and I love to hike. And I was thinking, how can I combine these things to make it really fun to lose weight, you know, Mm -hmm. to have something that's exciting. So what the portal will have is every state in the United States and there's recipes based on the state theme in each section. And what you do is each state is a different step count and you commit to a state. So let's say you do Pennsylvania and it's 60,000 steps to complete and you complete it in a week, there'll be scratch off maps where you can scratch off your you know, physical scratch off maps. So it's a way you can use your Fitbit and then work yeah. on a goal of accomplishing you know, your steps across the United States. And then there'll be a really fun community, like a Facebook community within the portal because it's um, going to be made with Kajabi and you'll be able to post, you know, hikes that you went on in photos. And that's just going to be like community support. It'll come with um, 10 to 12 modules on nutrition education and, you know, some tips on hiking, but you don't have to hike. You Mm -hmm. can walk around your house and complete the challenge. But um, I don't really know other than Fitbit of a fun step club that's Mm -hmm. trendy and like for young professionals. So I'm really pumped to be able to like bring this and also like I'll have the top 10 hikes in each state. So it'll be a cultural experience alongside the weight loss. And that's just my attempt to really take you know, all the emphasis off dieting yeah. when really what you need to do is just be consistent, move your body daily and getting these habits and routines of standing up. COVID has been really harsh on mm-hmm. people with sitting and computer work. And, you know, so I thought the step club would really help with that. Yeah. Oh my God. That sounds like so much fun. It's, it's totally also getting people in a great mindset because, you know, being active and, um, really helps with, you know, anxiety, depression, all those kind of things as well. Right. So, um, I think that makes, yeah, definitely. it does sound fun. It sounds, <laughs> sounds like something people <laughs> want to do instead of like, oh my God, I need to lose weight and I need to <laughs> do all of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to, It'll be designed to be extremely affordable, too. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. I know that COVID has hit some people very hard. um, And I was wanting something that's more affordable for everybody to, you know, work on their health goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that sounds amazing. So um, then I guess how can listeners, you mentioned, so you're going to have this new um, hike your way healthy. Is it going to be, will you be on Instagram for that? Like, how can everybody connect with you online? or through social media? Yeah. 
They can Google hike your way healthy on Instagram. I have, so basically I just changed my name from Emily Cornelius nutrition to hike your way healthy. Okay. So it's still my same Instagram. Okay. Um, I just am converting everything right now. I will have a newsletter come like a, a list. I have um, a team and they're collecting, you know, names for the newsletter that will come out. So right now I'm just sort of building hype around it so people can get used to the brand and what it's about. Um, but if you want nutrition, where I'm still teaching a lot of weight loss education is in my Facebook community. It's called Piece of Cake Weight Loss Community. So you can search me under groups in Facebook that way. Oh, okay, great. That sounds really interesting, too. Perfect. I also have a website. Oh, yeah. that's just my name, Nellie's Nutrition. So if you would rather just go straight to the website, you can do that. Okay. I'm sure they will. So this has been great. I've gotten so many wonderful tips and I, yeah, I really like your approach and the fact that you sort of understand what it is like to lose weight. I think that's been one of the things if I've ever met up with a coach or, um, you know, even a personal trainer and I'm trying to talk to them about fitness and, you know, you sort of see, okay, wait, you have no idea what it's like <laughs> to actually try to lose weight yeah. <laughs> or try to become fitter because, you know, it's somebody that's been fit their whole life or, you know, it definitely, it, it can be a kind of a mental challenge, I think, in, in sometimes mm -hmm. working with those people. So I think that's a great credit to you. So um, thank you so much. Okay. I really okay. appreciate all your time today. And, and I think our listeners will get a ton of great tips. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. And um, I hope to connect with anybody who's listening that wants to connect, send me a message on Instagram. I'd love to talk to you. Great. And definitely check out the podcast, Eat the Darn Cookie. Did I get it? Oh, yeah. Eat the Darn Cookie. <laughs> Eat the Darn Cookie. <laughs> yeah, it's on Apple and Spotify. Yes, yeah. perfect. All right, great. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you are looking for that advice, please seek that out from a professional. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can visit my blog, www.theallergybeast.wordpress.com or follow me online at Sarah Lady Gluten on Instagram, S-A-R-A-L-A-D-Y-G-L-U-T-E-N, or the Facebook page, Sarah-LadyGluten. If you do like the podcast, please consider subscribing so that you will get the podcast update every week and or reviewing the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. Thanks again and have a great week.